Hello, Stephen Seifert. Dan Landrum. Good morning. Yeah, welcome everyone to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks. Why did we miss the last two weeks? I think it's all your fault. <laughs> I can take it. But isn't Aaron out of town? He's been out of town. Aaron's gone. He's been in. You've been gone. Everybody's been gone. It's going to be a great time things. to break into his house. Yeah, we're just going to trash talk him the whole, the whole <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> nah. We, oh. Nah. So, most of the conversation you and I have had over the last couple of weeks, it's involved technical stuff. Nerdy. It, you know what? I hear some nerds talking about nerdy stuff. And they're excited about getting into it. But you and I are like, uh, we're going to have to talk about this one nerdy topic. Again and again. Well, we, we, I, most of my nerdishness is a pursuit of necessity, not passion. As far as the computer goes, you know. Yeah. Is there a chance that things that come out of necessity as opposed to passion you don't you don't go quite as far into as to something you're just passionate about like i i don't enjoy being in front of these screens well we're both dealing with a piece of software that helps us route audio in and out and around the computer and it's obvious that we you mean that expletive deleted qmix software (laughs) yeah it's we're not passionate about qmix uh but we are in need yeah. I, I would like to. I would like to fake passion. Uh, I think maybe the tech for support a day people and really get it. Well, and what kind of a name is Mark of the Unicorn anyway for a company? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, maybe, but listen, Mark of the Unicorn. We, uh, I'm thankful for anything they've done well. I'm really thankful. I am. You're kissing up for a sponsorship. They've done a right lot now. of things well. Yeah. All right. No one is really interested in this, but uh, unless they are, I mean, in the in the technical side of this, I would, I probably think more highly of both me and you than I ought when it comes to our technical skills. When you and I are on, when we are on the phone, <laughs> uh, I think less of your technical skills when we're talking about QMix. But but I, in a similar way, seriously, I regard gonna, my own skills. Well, you've helped me, but I'm always. Like, I talked you through some stuff yesterday I, without even being at the thing, just from memory. That, right. But but how many I, times have we done that? I ask you questions. Sometimes I'll be like, "All right, so if it's coming in one, where is it going out?" And you'll it'll take you like thirty seconds to answer. Because I'm parsing my – well, maybe it's because I don't know, but it's also because I'm parsing my words because the answer to that is almost always it depends. No, I, well, I think we both have trouble with things like, all right, what is the negative left side of the chair <laughs> facing from the west or something? I mean we can't – I think no, we're spatially right. uh, challenged. Yes. I get lost when I'm driving. Or trying to figure out the, the flow of audio through a d- – to a series of devices, I have to write it down. Yeah, well, I have a I have a large mind map called MegaDesk where I routed <laughs> all the routing. MegaDesk. <laughs> MegaDesk that goes through my system. But if I didn't have that every now and then, I would be lost just because we're dealing with a situation, we probably shouldn't talk about this much longer, where the Motu, the Mark of the Unicorn software, 
<laughs> doesn't allow you to right label now. things and have them stay labeled in routing. So if you've got an input that has, say, 30 things on it, they're 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, 9, 10. Yeah, you've got to put that names. on a piece of paper. And then they don't go in the order that you think they would. So, like, instead of calling something headphones, you have to remember that, oh, that's uh, 1113. <laughs> and then the routing doesn't line – the outputs don't line up with the input. Let's talk about something more fun. Like, I did uh, something neat. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's see. On Sunday. Something what? Something neat. Meat? Neat or meek? N is in Nancy. E-A. T is in Tom. Okay. And? Um well, my buddy Tony Gerber in Nashville, he he makes space music, and he uses synthesizers, Native American flutes, um, but he also plays dulcimer. He's playing a Schnaufer model, McSpadden, right now. But we also had a per- couple of percussionists, saxophone player, and then a guy who specializes in Native flutes from all over the world, and... um I played with synths too, which is, I think it was the first time I've had synths on a stage since 1989, maybe. I'm not sure. Synths and adults were on stage? Yeah. Yeah. And it was really nice. And we played uh, for three and a half hours, got a lot of it recorded. So, um, that was such a pleasure. And, you know, I know what it's like to, I remember wishing someone would play acoustic and not put a silly synthesizer in there. I, re- I remember feeling that way when I was in my 20s, 30s. But it was so nice for me to be in a, uh, to be in a room with, with a group of people. That they didn't care what I played. <laughs> That's, that could go both ways. Right. I mean, did did they enjoy what you played? Did they applaud for what you played? How well, did they let you know? It, it wasn't an applauding type of event. There's <laughs> a room full of people without hands. <laughs> um, no, I think it was enjoyed. And um, what would be the indicators that it really was? Many things, but not clapping. It's do like they, do they snap? Do they snap their fingers. I forget what he shoot i should have the name on the tip of my tongue but it's like uh people come to chill out um there's like a beautiful room with a big fireplace and people actually come to just chill while and you know there's a group of musicians on stage playing chill music yeah sounds like an opium den but i swear (laughs) it's just no i was at a similar event just two nights ago for a a, just a, a jazz and food gathering that a, a friend of ours does. Yeah, and they had a little three-piece jazz band, and people didn't clap after everything. And I think that's okay because it's sort of a it's an atmosphere. And these guys were really good too; just really great musicians. Well, this one uh, everybody cool knows we're recording it too, so they try to be quiet at the end and. So the people who go to these things are most of them fans of participating and creating this or they go because like this music just makes me happy Both or, or something in between both. So if, if you showed up with an instrument, you know, you'll probably be invited to use it. So it's but it's just 
it was good for me to get up there. And so if, I, if, if the moment needed dulcimer, I used dulcimer. If the moment needed a Blade Runner sounding synth, um, then I could use that. And as long as I communicated appropriately and kept my levels in check, you know, musically, um, nobody cares if you whip out a harmonica or a bell or whatever. I really like that. Now, of course, there's many benefits in the dulcimer world to dealing with a group of people that are mostly hyper-focused on the mountain dulcimer. There's, there's super benefits to that. And I love that world. But I, I don't only want to live in that. I, I, I enjoy the freedom to pull out a Native American flute if I want to or, you know, whatever. By the way, I saw a video of you playing uh, whistle at the finale at Kentucky Music Oh, Weekend. really? I have Good a... job. Really? You guys were playing Soldier's Joy or something. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I did real well on that, but thank you. Uh, it sounded good. It was a nice mix. <laughs> it was real, cool. Yeah, I realized. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, I thought it was good. So were there any just like straight up p- people who came to see you because you're because of your dulcimer skills? No. Well, except my mother. Oh, how does your mom? I bet her comments are awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, always, always. That's true. But um, what'd she say about that? That's not. I wouldn't see that as her cup of tea. I would see that as Steve dragged me here because he wants Mom, to make no, sure. She I'm said okay. this is the stuff I like. No, this is what she likes. I mean, we like really. Yeah, you know, and um, I, you know, I. I like new age music. <laughs> I, there, I said it. Now, I don't like all of it. Uh, and I don't even like to call it new age music. But I like music. Yeah, you got to define that. I like when you combine elements of synthesizers and world music. You know, uh, rhythms and m- melodic treatments and, and textures from around the planet. You you mix all that together and... And you play like really slow music. And so when it's the dulcimer's turn, there's a big reverb and there's echo on the dulcimer. And it, and it's very meditative and entrancing. And no, um, I haven't joined a cult. Uh, but ever since I was a little kid, you know, that's why I like Sting and Peter Gabriel. And, um, and I even listened to Yanni last week. I listened to Yanni. <laughs> I've heard some of that. Dude, he's teaching. He's doing uh, like he's doing a master class series online. I think it's on his YouTube channel. He says he's going to release a video every once in a while. He has an interesting keyboard setup. Does he still have those Tritons stacked? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. But he's got... Um, they're not all hooked up, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the video, there was a number of them hooked up where, like, he hits a button, I think, on an external controller, and it could change multiple patches and turn one synth into mono. And so, Yeah, guess what software they're running? Logic or? Digital Performer. Oh. Yeah. Well, he's, um, I never really, he actually is a better player and he's a little more nerdy than I thought. So anyway, you want to talk about something else? I I mean, that's an interesting subject to me. Not, not the Yanni stuff, but the, uh, 
I had in my mind when you started describing this, this was more of a sound effects fest sort of thing where a, more of a noise gig, but you're talking nah. about. Oh, yeah, I do the noise gigs, too. But this one was more of more an ambient ambient. Yeah. I like that kind of a lot. So, you know, yeah, I can do that myself. I can get lost doing that. And what's nice is they'll say, um, and by the way, for, for the listeners who don't know, Dan played with Yanni for a while, which is why I brought it up. But um, I love it when you do ambient music with a group of people and it's like, all right, we're starting off with a chord and we're not going to use another chord. And it's going to be like this for nine and a half minutes, you know, for 14 minutes. Uh, and you, it has to me that connects you. I could see someone thinking that like, oh man, that's, it's just so not acoustic, but it is connecting you in a way. And I think this is where it strikes a chord with, with us. It connects you, you know, all the way back to the Pythagorean theorem and Gregorian chant and those kinds of things where, they stuck to modes a lot and worked within those modes. And well, it takes you back to the dronal nature of like, uh, yeah. if you listen to Indian classical music, like the sitar, uh, there is, you know, you have a drone and then you have, um, real heavy melodic work and, and then rhythm. But the, hey, can we talk about modes for a minute since we're there? Oh, people are going to hang up. Oh, you think so? No, I love modes. I'm, hey, it's my secret weapon. Well, it's the, I think it's the secret weapon of the hammer dulcimer, too, because it's like a mode machine that uh, if you look at it that way. And I learned to play in a bit of a vacuum, and but that's how I learned. Part of the problem is we call them modes. And I think if you were going to introduce this topic to someone, you're going to want to bring up the word modes you know, at some point, but I think you should start by just calling, you should say, look, there's many types of scales. There's major, there's minor. Those are the two big ones, but there's many kinds of scales. And, um, we're going to show you, you know, and then you could introduce them like, here's a major scale, but we're going to change one note. And this scale is available on the mountain dulcimer. And here's what it sounds and feels like. And you know, and don't mention a tuning if you don't have to. Just tell them it's a scale. Now, later down the road, you can explain to them, hey, by the way, one way we I wanted to, you know, get this scale yeah. is, you know, and then, but it's just can a mode, it a it's just way? a scale, dude. Yeah, I want to do it a different way. It's, I think, it's easier to explain it. Now, if you have somebody who knows nothing about the piano, it's maybe uh, not. And we're not necessarily going to explain modes here, right? Yeah, I am. I'm about to. Oh, I'm no. going to do it. Yeah, I bet I can do it in less time than what you just talked to say. Here's why we don't want to do it. <laughs> it's that if this is how I'd explain it. If you look at a piano and you pick out a white mark, could be any white mark, but you if you know what middle key? C is, any white key, and you play seven notes plus one eight you get back to the an octave above where you started now if you just go up one note wherever you started start on the next one you changed and do that same thing you changed modes yeah i don't think that helps people but i could be wrong and it may be the type of brain Heck, that's really possible but why that helps with the type of instrument like on a hammer dulcimer is because the mode is right there in front of you if you see the key of c no sharps and flats, you know, and you just play that scale 
consecutively starting with one note higher each time, no sharps and flats, you play the Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, Locrian. Yeah, but you scales, have to, and you modes. can't do. You have to establish a context for the ear, and yes, and really, yeah. the easiest way to do that is a drone. So, when we give somebody that piano exercise you just mentioned, I think we have to start by telling them to hold a bass note in the left hand, pick any white key you want. Hold that not too low, not too high. It should sound roughly like a bass, you know. And then your right hand, as it does a scale against that droning bass note that will not change for a little bit, your right hand is going to start on that same note. So if you have a if you have a low G in the left hand and you're you're holding it, you could even do octaves. You just want a powerful drone that sits right on that G. Your right hand is going to start on a G up higher and keep going higher through the white keys until it gets to another G or keep going lower through the white keys until it, and and that gives your ear a sense for the flavor of the drone and then I would prescribe improvisation keeping that same bass note happening. But I'll tell you what's really nice sometimes, too, is um, I like to tell somebody, hey, we're going to start with a major scale and put that drone in the left hand. So let's say we go to C to C um, and then get them to improvise there. And then I'll come in and say, all right, let's change one note. So you're going to keep hitting that C with the left hand. Your right hand's going to keep improvising using all the white keys, but we're going to change one note of the scale. Instead of using that B white key, we're going to use a B flat. And then I would ask them to improv there for a while. And then I would ask them to go back and forth and try to explain maybe the emotional or audible difference between the two by just changing that one thing, you know? Yeah, people usually easily pick out bright or dark. But I mean, so often the talk about modes just descends into super nerdiness. I maybe in listening to you, I spot something that our instruments may partially cause the way we look at them because yeah. uh, the hammer dulcimer is laid out in such a way that you can see the modes, I think, more easily than you can see them on the mountain dulcimer. Ooh, so, I think so, we, I think they're the same, but why? Why do you think that? Well, just the way you described it. Uh, see, like on the hammer dulcimer, you don't see whole steps and half steps. I mean, to the casual observer, I know you see them, but I, I, I have a hard time seeing. Them. But on the mountain dulcimer, you've got big spaces and little spaces. You know? Okay, that that's a good point. It's easier that way. I don't generally start with whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half at the beginning, but I start with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, where you just play these notes yeah. in this shape, where you're playing them parallel. You know, five on one side of the, excuse me, four on one side of the bridge and four on the other, and then just move it up one note and do the same thing, and then move it up again one note and do the same thing. Well, why don't we give them some homework? Let me give them a mountain dulcimer homework. You give them a hammered. Well, I, yeah, and I need to finish what I just said also. Oh, okay. Because I don't want anybody thinking that fourth time you can move up one note and do the same thing and still be playing. Uh, following the modes. You don't get Lydian? See, here we go, dude. Here we go. It's because when you go to the fourth one, if you play four up from there and then 
go over to the left and play four up again, you can, and we were out of C, you're going to end up with a B flat in there uh, instead of the B well. natural. So then they've got to shift over and walk up the other bridge. So it helps to it helps you to learn where your unison notes are and where your yeah, they're not really accidentals. They're just notes. They're just like I'm I'm gonna say this, then I'll stop because it's too much. But you've moved into the key of F if you play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, starting on the F. Yeah. Because the B flat is the four. Yeah, um, but yeah. But my hope would be not knowing the hammer dulcimer, I would think you've gone into F Lydian. An F major with a sharp four. You but haven't because of the layout of the hammer dulcimer. You don't get that. You don't get it by following that four four pattern. But it helps you to see that oh, okay, that this is where it shifts when you move into a different tonal center. And I would say if you do that on a hammer dulcimer, take your right hand. Let's say you're in the key of D. Take your left, your right hand and hit a low D over and over again to just establish the tonality in your ear. You want I want to ask you more about that, but finish. You want to hear the key center, the tonal key center. Um, let's, work, let's work in a key that's easy for... So you're saying a D, right? A D is easy on a mountain dulcimer, so I'll come out of a D also. You got so a low D play, you can hit? I got a low D... Or even if it's in the same octave we're going to work with. You think it should be an octave lower, generally? Uh, it doesn't have to be, but I, when I hear that bass, it's just it really clears it up. If, if it's too close to the melody, it, it, anyway, it, either yeah, one. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so let's say you're using the D on your bass bridge, and then as your low note, and then you're using the lowest D on the right-hand side of your treble bridge, which is an octave higher. So you're saying just to feel that first one, that major scale, also the Ionian scale. You're going to hit the D with the right hand over and over, but your left hand each time is welcome to go up and down through that scale. Through that D scale. Now, when we change modes, when we start one note higher, Mm -hmm. are you still going to drone the low D? No, we now need to drone E to establish a new tonal center because we're going to an E key of some kind. Going to a new right. an E scale. Now it happens to be a mode of D major, but the most important thing is we've now moved on to a key of E. What type of key? That's a you know it's slightly different discussion. Okay, boy, I'm going to confess something. I I've always gotten confused about this. This is worse than Q mix. Oh come on, dude. <laughs> we've just moved. We've moved from that E. Are we playing E Dorian? Yeah. Or that's right. So when, but if we play a D bass note, you won't hear E Dorian. You'll hear D major. So what do you call the key that you're playing out of? Because you're playing out of the key of D, but you're playing E no, you're Dorian not. scale. Here's ah, the most important here thing. I know, and I hear people say this all the time, and I think an argument could be made for, yes, you are in the key of D. No, dude, you're not. Because when the musicians want to know what the one chord is in that key, they're not. it's not D. It's E, and the one chord is king. The when you when you when oh you, I get it. You come yeah, because you can home, play one. You get the one chord. You know, right? You could play one four five patterns out of E Dorian. Right. To, but what do you call the D scale, which is your? What do you call that? What What do I if call the D major scale? Yeah. 
Okay, well, it's got two names, and I think it's I think it's great. I, like I said at the beginning, to just call it a major scale. No, I mean as <clears throat> excuse me as it's reference to the fact that you're doing E Dorian. You, you, you're in the key of question. E Dorian, which has two sharps. It has an F sharp and a C sharp. Right. And so, really, you don't ever need to mention D major. You you you're in the key of E Dorian, which has an F sharp and a C sharp. Now, you might point out later after they've enjoyed the the flavor of that. Hey, this happens to be derived from the D major scale. But, so, see, but there is no name for that. Okay, the here's the problem. We've it. already okay. gone too far because here's what's beautiful <laughs> about this. When you teach somebody to play this new scale and you give them that bass note, it tastes great. It's beautiful. It feels good. And it's exotic a little bit. It's not quite what they might be expecting depending on where you start. Uh, I think it's good to just give them, like, here, eat this. Try this out. You know, in the mountain dulcimer, it's so much worse than hammered because we started to call tunings by different mode names. But let me just say my homework. You say your homework. My homework is you take a dulcimer, tune DAD. You could do this in DAA. You just get different results. But if you tune DAD... I'm going to give you some um, restrictions here. You're going to strum all the strings. You're not going to fret the bass or middle string. You're going to fret the melody string. Um, You're not going to use... Let's see. How should I do this? Let's not use the sixth fret. Now, in the old days, we didn't have this option. We didn't have a six and a half, but... For the, for the sake of this exercise, don't use the six and a half. Uh, so you'll... No, did I say that wrong? Shoot, I did. Don't use the six. So you're strumming all the strings. You're going to make up a melody on the melody string, wandering left and right, up and down through the scale, usually going to a next door neighbor in the scale. But let's avoid the sixth fret completely. And let's say, you know, you, you don't need to go too high up on the dulcimer. Um, so your first assignment is DAD tuning, do some strumming, and then just wander left and right across the, the fret. This, then the next step is capo at one. We're still not going to use the sixth fret. <clears throat> We're going to use the six and a half. You're capoed at one. You're doing a full strum. Wander through it. And you can repeat this capoed at two, three, four, and five. Um, and I would stop at five, and I won't go into why, but you'll be tasting uh, a number of beautiful scales, and each one has a different emotional profile. And this is, and, and forget what they're called, just know that each one feels and sounds different and works different. I think that's the best first step for a mountain dulcimer player to experience the modes. So I feel <clears throat> just a little bit like you you get to cheat in that you get to put that capo on there and right. sort of do the same thing 
because that those yeah. drones establish my tonality, but you'll have to hammer, I guess. Or play against a drone or something. No, you can do kind of the same thing. You just that's what I was getting to earlier. You change your position though. I mean you just started a note higher. Uh I'm trying to I'm trying to download on my you can see this obviously, this is a podcast, so people can't see it. I'm in the middle of downloading Thumb Jam onto uh, my <clears throat> iPhone. So I could demonstrate some of these scales. <clears throat> but here's something that I I think is more simple than people think. You hear an instrument like, uh, uh, what are those called? Hang drums? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> yeah. But some of those cool instruments you see people play where they play a scale and it's like, wow, that thing just makes you feel a certain way. It's sort of magical. You could do all that stuff on your instrument. No matter what your instrument is, you just have to limit yourself to that scale. I've thought of that limiting a lot. It. Huh? I've thought of that very thing a lot on this very instrument. Yeah. Um, it, yesterday, it's a big I, deal. I picked there out many a five-note <laughs> group of, of, you know, five notes. And I, well, this was Sunday. And I just limited myself to those five notes. And I... I remember thinking, I'm just going to pretend these are the only notes I have. And then it gets interesting. So That's so, taking forever to load. I, I just so on the to, hammer dulcimer, let me give yeah. them their homework. <laughs> no, I can give Oh, you want me to give them an exercise? Well, like, what you know, a matching kind of. I think one of the more interesting things to do is take, generally, if you've been playing for a while, you you might be familiar with the concept of one, four, five scales. And you get to thinking of it in a certain way where you've got a one being a major scale, a four being a major scale, and a five being a dominant seven scale. If for this exercise you can forget the so dominant you mean part, chord, not scale. Chord, yeah, chord. But I'm thinking about it kind of like scale on a hammer dulcimer because you uh, play within those shapes. I got you, I got you. And so instead of playing one, four, five, go major from a major to a major to a dominant seven think about it as all minor and start to do basically what steve is saying so you're going to take your right hand on the one and you were in the key of d a minute ago is that what you were doing yeah i don't guess it matters so much but let's let's say we're starting on an e dorian your right hand is going to go from the bass note on the lowest E you have on your bass bridge and go back and forth from E to B. Just one, five, mm-hmm. one, five, one, five. Like a little one, bass five. player is doing that for yeah. you. Yeah. And then take your left hand and start everything an octave higher and then practice something as simple as just walking the scale down from the E on the left side of the bass bridge all the way to the excuse me, the left side of the treble bridge all the way down to the E on the right side of the treble bridge. It'll all start an octave higher. So you can just do it easily so that you're playing, as you're going one, five, you're going da, 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 walking down with the left. And play that for a measure or two, figure out your own timing, and then move all that stuff up a four. A what? Move it up four notes. So you started on an E, so this time you're going to be starting on an A. You're going to move everything up. Which will be an A major. Nope. Not on a hammer. Not on a hammer. But not on a hammer. Not on a hammer. It's going to be a minor scale again. Okay. That's interesting. Because of the shape of it. So that's what I'm saying. You just move everything you just did. Move it up four so that you're on an A. 
and then play on that for some equivalent that sounds right to what you did on the on the. So first you have one. a C natural then when you do that. You have a C natural that's going to fall in that scale. That's a C, right. that's crazy. It's going to fall in that shape. And so maybe then come back to where you started again, back to your E, and then the next time you change chords, you're going to take it down and start the whole thing on a B. A B, yeah. So yeah. then that's a B minor, right? That's right. So, so you're actually in the... You've got a key signature of one sharp when you do that. Yes. And that gives you a pure E minor, also known as Aeolian. There you go. Isn't that cool? And a modified. And so just work on doing that exercise and then try, instead of playing every note with your left hand, work out some sort of a rhythmic pattern. Instead of going one, two, three, four, you go one, four, one. And then maybe now go up to the next chord and then do one. Four, one or something else just pick out create an exercise for yourself that you're just making yourself do something mechanically that follows some certain math that you've said i'm going to go play on the first fourth, fourth and the first beat again doesn't matter what it is i just made that one up you'll come up with something interesting that will help you to understand how to find these things on your instrument i think for the people who are almost ready to hang up um, modes really are just different types of scales and it would be great if you could spend a little time playing around with each of these new scales and if that excites you and you want to know more there's there's a lot out there you can learn about it I'll tell you I'm a little disappointed in the hammer dulcimer <laughs> just as far as my understanding it I wish as you moved up and down kept the same key signature so that you really were going through all the modes but i think you're right there on the left you don't have wait a minute so you can do a d major scale you start on the middle and then you go over to the left so you get d e f sharp g a b c sharp d that's right it's parallel four parallel oh wait a minute dude. whole whole half but when you go up a whole when you go up to e you still get a c sharp if you just do four notes on the middle and then four notes on the left. E, right? E, well, the C sharp's on the right. E, B, <coughs> well, E, you're talking oh, e F sharp, no. E, F sharp, G, A, B, C sharp, D, E. So then, oh, I'm lost. Yeah. Wait, you're wait, wait. But when you go to the A, that's what you were saying. When you go to the A, it's a C natural. You you've got a C natural on the left. So that's why I think it's a little trickier to do modes on the hammer dulcimer, just because. <laughs> See, that's why I think it's easier, and that's I'm coming back to. Not I'm not. Yeah, just but you to should have a C sharp over there if you want a consistent, comprehensive walk through the modes so using that would. four and four pattern up and down. Well, you would have that if you move the whole pattern to the left as, as opposed to moving the whole pattern up. And that's where the hammer dulcimer is very key centric. I think a little less the mountain dulcimer is a little less in that when you see those marks, those white marks, it shows you where the center of a key is. And when you move up, you're kind of moving I mean, it's easy to move it into another key. It's easy to take anything you're playing on a hammer dulcimer and move it up by a fourth or down by a fifth. Oh, you know, the problem, 
so mountain dulcimer people if you're like me we really don't know what he's talking about i mean you've got three playing areas you've got two bridges you play on the left and right of that left bridge and you only play on the left side of that right bridge and then the four four pattern the lowest one is four on the right bridge four on the inner left and then your next one is four on the inner right and i'm so (laughs) sorry all right, and so four on the this. outer left. Oh, let's right, not. Tell what me, can we stop? L- listen, <laughs> what scale? What scale? It's a pentatonic, but I don't know what the tonal center is. Tell me. No, he he thought that's because thumb jam starts in pentatonic. Yeah, so it's in it's. That was major, wasn't it? It was a major pentatonic, but it depends on the bass note. It could be perceived as okay. as the different modes of the pentatonic scale. All right, so now I'm gonna that was <laughs> now I'm gonna change scales. That was a major that was a minor blues scale is what it was. But I want you to listen to all these other oh, okay. options for scales. I'm gonna let's do an easy one. Here's just a major scale. This is a good exercise. But we don't have a bass note to establish tonality. Can you hold down um, a bass note with your other thumb? Put it a little closer to the mic. But keep that bass note going. I did, I did. There was one in there. Here's the bass. And I would even hit that bass over and over as you're playing through that scale. But listen, now I'm going to jump to something that Neither one, neither one of us is going to know what this is until we hear it. I'm just going to pick out. Here's one called Ritsu. <laughs> R-I-T-S-U. I can't do it. Okay, so, but, but we're and there's talking a about two different then, things here. We have scales and we have the modes of scales. So you just introduced us to a... Is that a pentatonic? What is that? I think all these are some kind of pentatonic. There's some kind of five-note scales. That may not be true, though. I mean, there's a bunch. I'm, I'm shilling now. I don't make any money off of this. But Thumb Jam is an incredible app if, to, to help you learn to Have a little stuff. fun and to hear some of this stuff. Yeah, and then you can... I've... Got an exercise I've never finished, but I want to put out a book that shows hammer dulcimer players all these scales. I think that could be fun for it to experiment in. So it's, I would it's like a, to do a book on modes that's not so mysterious that just says, all right, do this. And here's what you're going to hear and feel. And this is why it's different. But, you know, yeah. really, like what we're doing right now, there's a part of me that wants to show off that I know this stuff. And I don't think that's helpful. And, but there's a part of me that knows how great this topic is. So it's hard to find that balance. Uh, some of the old articles I read over the years about uh, modes, it, I don't know. It seems like somebody was so excited they had finally figured this out and they really want to share it with the world. But it's just, <laughs> it's like what we're doing today. I don't know. And let me reiterate their homework for the Mountain Dulcimer, which is perfect for learning this. Tune DAD. You're going to go open. You're going to cape what? One, two, three, four, five. 
And every time you do that, you're going to make up melodies with a full strum on the melody string, avoiding the sixth fret. And you will, every time you capo, you'll get a different vibe. If you were putting music to a movie, um, each one of those capo positions would impart a different vibe for the scene that's happening. And I, I want to say this nerdy thing, because we have an exception you have to deal with. Um, if I capo at six and a half, some of you nerds out there will think, well, that's Locrian. But if you're doing a full strum, your drone will betray you. You don't want a C-sharp, G-sharp drone, because there is no G-sharp and C-sharp Locrian. See how bad this gets? So you yeah, got to change right. the middle string, I would say, um, up. No, I would change. What would I change? I would change the middle string down a half step. But, you know. Oh. So, I don't know if you want me to do this or not, Steve, but I'm, I'm looking at this app, and I venture that I could pick out different regions, that there are regional scales, you know, like. Asian scales, European scales, Indian yeah. scales. And you might not know the scale, but after you heard it for just a moment or two, you pick out the region because it sounds like Indian music or it sounds like Asian music. Oh, yeah, Does yeah. that make sense? And so that's another reason to learn this stuff. So if, you, if you're like, oh, I heard something that was kind of, I was in a Chinese restaurant and I heard Chinese music. I wonder why it sounds that way. Here, let's do, I want to show off a little. Are you ready? You want me to do one? So pick some exotic thing. I want you to establish the tone center by giving me a bass note. And then I want you to give me the first four notes of the scale. And then and then I want you to give me the all eight notes, all seven notes of the scale. All right, here we go. Or however many there are. Here's a tonal. Here's your first note. What note is that? I'm sorry, when I move my phone, it's got some kind of effect on, so it's changing it. That's an E3. An E, okay. All right, that's E Dorian. That's E Dorian, which is sounds like E minor, but the sixth note of of the E is sharper than you expect it to be. The, it's, you, it's a C sharp. You normally expect a C natural Good job, Steve. But give me a really crazy one. Well, so, but just so you know, that's an Indian scale. That's that's what the they're calling it, but that doesn't mean it's only. No, I mean it has a name. That particular scale is a is an ascending Bahravi scale. Was I right? Play it again. Oh, you nailed it. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I can do it again. Yeah, but can you do it slow and go ascending? I'll try to make it be cool. Right, and that has right. a, that's that, and you might think these modes aren't really relevant, but the truth is, like this particular one's all over rock and roll. Oh like, yeah, it's all over jazz. It's um, it's it's kind of a big deal. Okay, picking out another one here. I have no idea. Uh, here we go. All right, this is a major scale with a sharp four. No, no, I'm sorry. Let's. I'll tell you, there's different. What's the tonal center? What's the root note? It was an E again. All right, well, if you take E minor and you give it a major third and a sharp four. No, it's, it's E harmonic minor, 
with a major third and a sharp four. So you could think of that is uh, like an E Lydian scale with a flat six. Yeah, an E Lydian scale That's with really a flat good, six. Steve. Is that true? So I think. Okay. So here's the notes E, F sharp, G sharp, B flat, B, C, D sharp. And let's call that B e. flat and A sharp because we've got to have sure. some kind of A there. So here's the thing like when you play this. I've trained myself on so many different modes and scales that before my brain identifies it, my emotions identify it. So the sharp four always sounds mysterious to me. Like it's a part of a movie where maybe the aliens just are in the room or something. And then the harmonic minor part sounds Arabic to me. And also, I'm showing off a little bit here because that's what we're doing. You can divide this scale in, um, into two halves. You got the fo- the first four notes, and then the last four notes, including the octave, and that's called a tetrachord. And so, when I identify scales, I usually identify the first half of it. So, the first half of this was a was a like a major scale with a sharp four Lydian, and the second half of this scale reminded me of harmonic minor, just the last four notes, including the octave. All right, that's and awesome. You're just showing off now. I know. But I want you to know that it all started with me moving that capo around and noticing, hey, I can I can play old Joe Clark, but it doesn't sound like old Joe Clark. Ah, yeah. You're you're saying you can play the shape of old Joe Clark. And it the emotions it created and um I really learned this stuff initially without my brain. I just was moving the capo around and then later I, the reason I got excited about studying this stuff is, um, like yesterday when I played with those guys, you know, the flute, he's playing some native flute from I don't know what country. And um, and as I come in to play along with him, i got to figure out where he's at, you know. it's I find the whole topic, it's super exciting for me. It's why I love the dulcimer. You, the drone versus uh, or along with some scale i think it's fantastic be like steve <laughs> well don't be like me you'll you, you. <laughs> no get excited about it that's that's the deal yeah what, what about when you're not excited about something should you feel bad about it or should you just move on to what you're excited about you know no but you should allow yourself to at least be with it for a moment that's i want to teach music in a new way I want to do like a week-long retreat where we do it in a new way, which is really an old way. But I want to show people how to – I want to give them very strict boundaries and then ask them to make up stuff inside of those very strict boundaries with the whole purpose being how to feel this stuff and hear it and execute it really from the heart, from the gut. You know, not explain them to death, not give them a bunch of tablatures where we're memorizing songs. There's a way you can come at this. This is a language, an emotional, audible language. Yeah. And, and I, I, I love teaching tunes and using tab, but wouldn't it be nice to, to spend some time doing the other one, which is probably more valuable? Sure. Can I, can I talk about that for a second? Yeah. If we were learning how to... Uh, cook for instance maybe that's not the best one 
But I'll go with that. If we were learning how to cook, there's some basic things you need to learn, you know, about how the stove works and how you mix ingredients and how you measure things in a measuring cup and all that. And that's all part of learning an instrument as well. But the concept of mastery, and I don't know that, I think, get this, people who, excuse me, people who pick up an instrument and learn it, because they pick it up and it makes a sound that they like, are doing the root elements of mastery. Often, we then lose our direction for a while. But there's a way to get back to the concept of mastery, and it's that uh, effortless mastery. Remember the jazz pianist who wrote that book probably 20 years ago out of Atlanta? I haven't read it, but I bought it. Yeah. And and there's some other there's other ways of looking at it. That's a course that I would like to teach. It would have to be people would have to know what they're signing up for, that this is really about the essence of listening to what's happening uh, and being with it. Just taking away all the judgment that you've got to know a melody or you've got to do something else and just being with it because you recognize what you enjoy in it. And that's maybe the fuel for what you said, Steve, about what keeps you interested, why you're excited. And some people may come to that more naturally than others. Some people may need a little bit more structure to making something feel effortless. It almost seems like it doesn't make sense. But the more I study uh, mindfulness meditation and those kinds of things, the more I understand that sometimes you just have to carve out time to practice focusing and to practice recognizing what uh, practice being surprised and I'm going all the way back to your question what about when you don't want to do it one of the keys to productivity based on I told you this course that I'm working on with Dr. Korushdini this pianist out of uh, Chicago is that sometimes you just need to sit with the work and be with it and if all you do is just sit and contemplate it a bit that's interesting even if it's at a piano You've still got to establish that habit of being with the oh, work. Oh, you know, that's good. For a bit. So for me, stuff. that would mean um, I have a book I need to finish. There's no way I want to work on that today. But I could bring, I could find the file. I could bring it up in InDesign. I could bring up the table edit folder that's got all the files in it. And I could just sit here. Just sit with it if nothing else. And that's all you have to do. That's all, there's no other judgment that's happening. You know what would make it? That would make tomorrow much easier because I wouldn't yep. have to find the files and I wouldn't have to install an update on InDesign. And I would know, hey, I all I, you know, that's a great idea. I think you'd like Dr. Dini's coursework because he even addresses. He's got a whole list of things. I don't have my notes handy. I'd read them to you. You would laugh. At first, he's reading this list of all these other things that you could do to be ready for the work. And the list gets longer and longer, and you go, wait a second, this sounds like you're never going to get to it, which is exactly his point. All these other things that you decide that you need to do. Uh, Really, when sometimes all you really need to do is just be with the work. Let your mind process probably what really is the next step. So it's like a mix of the David Allen GTD way with something a bit more thoughtful, mindful, if you don't mind that word. I think... um there's some barriers to entry. Like, let me just be negative for a second. Um, well, or at least mention the negative. So some some of us teachers, me included, 
we can easily bombard someone who can't read music with a whole bunch of sheet music, right? Um, it's a very congested feeling for them. A, a little bit helpless, a little bit lost. And this is for the person who doesn't read. You know, whatever you're giving them, they don't read it real well. Um, a second thing we can do is we can ask them to improvise without really giving them any direction. We basically tell them to do anything they want, and they're immediately stifled by that. <laughs> A third thing much. we can do sometimes is we can get too frou-frou-y or whatever you call it. Too, um, we start speaking with emotional vocabulary, but we don't link those things to actual practical techniques. I mean, there's we start telling them how important it is to learn by ear, and then we... <laughs> And then we don't give them an opportunity to do it or tell them how to do it. So apart, there's many ways to play, many ways to learn, many different approaches. And we can poorly present all of those. <laughs> you know, um, I, would, I want people out there to know just because you had a theory class you didn't like, just because you tried to play by ear and, and you thought you weren't any good at it, just because you tried to read music and you're left thinking you're too dyslexic, just because those fail doesn't mean you can't get better at those and maybe even one day love them and rely on those methods. Uh, I, I want to teach all those things. And too often at dulcimer festivals, uh, we tend to, we tend to rely on just the tab. Um, I like teaching structured improvisation. I like showing them exactly how to play by ear. Um, I like showing them exactly how to read, you know, when I do music theory, I, I want to make it practical. I don't want to just show off my knowledge of it, you know, um, like we've done today, <laughs> like we're doing right now. But so many of these great experiences I've had, uh, I, I feel like some people end up thinking that's not for them or they, they're not cut out for that or they don't have the skill or talent. Most of the good, rich stuff of what it means to be a musician can be available to you as a beginner on an instrument if you know how to approach it. It's it's really true. You, like you said uh, early on when you get an instrument, well, I don't know what you exactly said, but you know you can fall in love with some things about it, but then you get bogged down by all kinds of details and research and analysis and and later you try to get back to that beginning state where you were fascinated That's like right. a child and you could speak with your emotions and not, you know, your brain so much. React to what you're hearing as opposed to what you think you ought to hear. Um, I think the dulcimer world should have a, a, a greater diversity in offerings. But the problem is the, the way you pay the bills... And maybe it's not a problem. It's a blessing in some ways. But the way you pay the bills of the festival is you focus on intermediates, you know, lower intermediates. And you focus on repertoire with some technique. And that's great. It's a, it's a wonderful little area. But you start focusing more on improvisation, playing by ear. You're going to start to disappoint some people. Is that true? I think you're going to disappoint some people with anything you do in life. Uh, 
there's so many people out there that believe they can't play by ear and they can't make up cool stuff and they're not really a musician. Pete, how many often does somebody say that to you? Well, I'm not really a musician. I go, well, what have you played in your life? Well, I did piano for about eight years. I was actually a piano major for a while. What are you telling me you're not a musician? What do they mean? Because I think you can be a musician from day one, note one. Like, I, I just want to encourage people. I think more good stuff can happen than is happening. And sometimes people get forced into thinking, well, I got to read this sheet music. Well, hey, maybe you ought to try this other stuff out. And if and if you don't like one instructor's approach, try another one. Like, oh, I know I'm ranting, but here's here's one I, that gets me really hot is... um. You tell people how important it is to play by ear. And, buddy, it is important, I think. But um, you're taking somebody that lives in North Dakota. They're two hours from the closest grocery store. They have very few neighbors, all right? One of the beautiful things about learning by ear is meeting with a group of people where you can see them. And there's some repetition from week to week. And... So you're telling this person in the middle of nowhere who doesn't have any people and they don't have great internet that they should quit playing around with the sheet music and they should start playing by ear more. When, And the person telling them this happens to live in a city that has a jam like six nights out of every week. you know. So they get that repetition. They get those visual cues. And I just feel like... Uh, just like sometimes we're too busy showing off our knowledge and not busy enough really helping somebody and leading them to something that's inspiring and long lasting. <laughs> what you're basically saying is we need more people skills. <laughs> I think some of us need some <laughs> more people skills and I, I will, I will be happy to volunteer for that <laughs> class. Do you, you can teach a people skills class. Cause you teach, you're, you cut, you, you're not just handing out sheet music when you teach. Right? I mean, I do. I do more than I used to. But there's so many things you're passionate about where you're like, all right, everybody, forget the music. Hold these hammers for a second. I just want you to go back and, you know, you like, you give them, you take them somewhere else other than let's just, ex let's play this tune. Yeah. I mean, my basic philosophy is the technique stuff matters. And if you don't, I think hammer dulcimer techniques are a little harder than mountain dulcimer technique. Now, if Aaron was here with us, he would argue with me on that because that's what we do. But yeah, I, think, I, I would agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we both have a lot to do. I know, but I think if you we there, have there some, are things, you have some advantages. Some we have some disadvantages to overcome that are pretty hard on the body. But anyway, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. But I'll just finish this. There are some things that if you don't learn. You won't know how important they were till you've been playing for two or three years. And then they're going to be really hard to learn. Because they're just, it's, it's a paradigm shift from the way you play. So that's, that's what I'm saying. And Yeah, well, I, I want to have a festival. Jerry Rockwell and I have talked about this. I think somebody else mentioned interest in it too. I just can't remember who, but. I want to have a festival where there's equal treatment on these different approaches. And I'd like to pick people who are especially good with those different approaches, you know, and who are also compassionate on folks who operate slightly in a different way. 
Yeah, that's a tall order to get people who can do all that stuff and not yeah, be defensive and about know, the way they do it. We're lucky just to get enough people together that even like the dulcimer. I'm not. I don't want to be too. That's <laughs> just so funny. Today in my email pops up my uh, GoDaddy renewal for Chattanooga Dulcimer Fest and ChattanoogaDulcimerFestival dot com, and I'm thinking. Is it, I, you know, we didn't do one last year. I almost Don't called have... you last week to say, would you please do that again? I really did. Well, I paid my fourteen ninety nine times two. That's to, the least to... you could do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I thought, too. That's the least. You ran a good event. You know what? Um, I would like to find a way where once you set it up, you and Angie can relax and let somebody else actually manage it on site. Yeah, I know. That's true. There's people hey. that would do that for you guys. Angie and, almost had a nervous breakdown the last well, time. Well, you, you need to be the musician. I want You don't to. need to be the, the event manager. So, hey, I've got secrets that I want to tell you. And I don't think Angie wants to. She wants to relax and enjoy people. She'll never listen to this, especially all the way to the oh, end. Oh, don't tell so everything. I'm going to tell you now. She's uh, She's been getting involved with local government stuff. Yeah, and started a fun a, a nonprofit to help save the Mac. You know where you used to have an office. Oh, what do you mean save the Mac? Well, it's been it's it's a long story, but it's in trouble. It's okay. it's been a surely no one else from the local government will listen to this. But I've had some knockdown drag out issues. I mean, it's been it's been way more conflict than I ever thought I would deal with. I would say uh, if that city can't afford that building and those programs, then they should get rid of it. But if they can afford it, oh, it's a beautiful thing for that town. It's the oldest piece of property this town owns. And I'm in the position of trying to get... I mean, it's not hard for people who went to school there. I didn't go to school there. I've only lived here about... I'm approaching 20 years now. But the building's almost 100 years old. And you know what it was like. Think about some of those places we played in uh, in the UK, Steve. I'm imagining there was a point when they were getting old but they weren't old enough to be really valued because of their like awesome oldness that some people are going it's just not worth fixing the gutters on this or the leaky roof or when they first built it you know this was done poorly those kinds of things so we're trying to inspire people right now to step up not for us but for our children so a hundred years from now when we're all gone that building's worth a lot more to people. Sure. You know? Well, I so, lived there, and I, it was one of my favorite places I've ever... But what I I'm know. saying is if they can't afford it, then deal with that. Figure that out. But if they can't afford it, they should definitely find a way to do that. So the, the can't afford it becomes a political thing. And so what we're working on is... And I think people from all political persuasions would agree that if people decide to save something as opposed to the government it's maybe got a little better chance so we're trying to angie's working on a nonprofit so that we can raise money from yeah, individuals. find out if the people care or not and if find they're out willing if the to put care. their money yeah. behind it yep that's what's going on so back yep. to music <laughs> yeah. um so i like the idea of you doing that event again because it was it was it's great on a number of levels just do it again do you, if you want, <laughs> let's figure out a you know figure out if there's something I'm good at. Let me manage that part of it. If there's something Aaron's good at, let him. Or maybe not us. We just need to get somebody who's. We need to be the musicians. That's what we need. To yeah, let's talk. We'll we'll t- we'll continue. I agree, and that's why I went ahead and 
paid my $14.99 times two. Funny. All right. I've enjoyed talking to you, but that doesn't matter. I hope other people have enjoyed hearing this conversation. They're not listening. Everybody's. They're all all gone. They're all. And let me just say real quick, since they're all gone. Yeah. Tell a secret or something. Ah. Well, first of all, there's snow everywhere outside. So it started snowing here just a few minutes ago. Now, it's already on the ground where you are? It's heavy. Oh, that's cool. Now, here's the thing. I've been waiting for one week for a very important package, and it's supposed to be here today. And um, the roads are just trashed. You're nervous? But um, I got a new instrument coming. I'll talk about it later. But I'm very excited. And... um, Well, let's do it next time. Hopefully you will receive it. And Mr. Aaron O'Rourke should be back with us next week. Hey, people, if you're interested in modes at all, there's there's got to be a way we can help you taste these different feelings. It's such a great thing. So don't give up on modes, people. Modes there's all kinds, scales. too. There's a la mode, commodes, Modesto, California. I bet we could come up with many. I don't want to I mean, get off of here. Yeah, I got to go, though. I know, but why? A lot of things. You always have to go. I know. Isn't that good? Well, you're, keep, uh, you're getting things done. I mean, most people that, yeah, I, I of course, could use a little more of that. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> but Ooh, I got to yes. tell you this. Yes. I got some new uh, glasses, and I ordered two pair. I got um, Progressive's. Uh, you know, progressives can be four to six hundred bucks, you know. Um, but I got them for forty nine dollars a piece. <laughs> but the point of this is, is I got an, a pair that's not very tall. It's very slim. OK. And then I got the tallest glasses I could find. These big fat aviators. And I just want you to know progressives on really tall lenses are much easier to deal with. Much oh, easier to negotiate because most of the time you're not even seeing that bottom region, the reader region, you know. Does it make you look like a progressive, though? It makes you look old and behind the times. But I needed <laughs> glasses that didn't say, hey, I'm hip. I'm ready to makes take you look all like you a- young folks on. I needed glasses that said, leave me alone. Are they there? You have them by your side so I can. Oh, I do have them. I'll be the eyes for the people. All right. Well, you, I can't see your camera, so that's not really fair. Let's see. I haven't had a shower today. All right, now these are the hip ones that are supposed to endear me to younger audiences. Let's see. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah. Like if you were wearing all black, I, I would think you were from New York. These are pretty fashionable, but they're very they're very short or, or slim. So Is the they, name of those? They always have a name. Is that like Coffee Shop Tuesday or something? It's probably called something like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, relevant or something like that. <laughs> so uh, now these, you know, the, the, the nearsighted versus the farsighted region, there's just not enough room for both of them for me. Uh, but so I, it moves too fast as, as you look up or down. Yeah, but I mean, I've gotten, I've actually gotten where I can wear them. But these, man, this is, these are great. Look at these. Elton Seifert. Yeah. <laughs> But so I'll that's tell cool. You, these but are fantastic. Those are kind of 1970s looking. I got these coated, and I've got uh, they turn dark outside, 
And, you know, I can't even see that reader region unless I look down quite a bit. But uh, I'm excited. $49 a pair. What a deal. Through what company? Goggles for you. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's while we're sharing this kind of stuff, I'm still on the one contact thing and still feel like a bionic person. That's been amazing. I wear wear one in one eye. I'm completely used to it, and it feels odd if I don't have it in now. And what about the other eye? The other eye, I don't have one in. The other eye can see distance perfectly. And the one eye, I wear a 1.5 reader in. I know how you could take this a step further. Yeah? On your right foot, you're going to wear like a cross trainer <laughs> tennis shoe. And on your left foot, you can wear like an ice, like an Arctic hiking boot. Or or a business a, a business shoe of some kind. Yeah. Or you could go barefoot on the right foot and wear like an astronaut boot on the left. All right, let's stop. Hey, listen, as long as we're on life hacks, another one. You know I work on my treadmill. I do a lot of work standing up when I have office work to do. I've been doing that for at least three weeks barefooted. Oh, yeah? And that's kind of cool. I've gotten used to it, and it feels odd to have shoes on when I'm on there. No foot pain. My feet have gotten better. So that's my life hack for today. Hi. I'm still eating pretty well. I don't... (laughs) I just want to say, I think I'm content. done with bread. I need to do that. I've been doing better, but not not as good as you have. We should stop because we are really driving. If you're, if there's anyone listening, there's I think nobody listening. Aaron, Aaron is still. Sarah Morgan's still listening. Sarah's to hi Sarah, hi Aaron. <laughs> thanks for being our friends. And our friend in Australia is still listening. Yeah, Anna, thanks, Anna. And I have a feeling that might be it. Aaron's not listening. No way. Aaron O'Rourke, no way. No, he's never listened. (laughs) All right. Hey, Steve. You really have to go. I got to go. Let me meet him. Bye. See ya.